now, time for seafood news. You're listening to the Seafood News Podcast, brought to you by Maine Lobster. Maine Lobster season is here, and although the traditional butter and lemming pairings are delicious, there are many ways to enjoy lobster. Grill it as a main course to accompany refreshing sides to top your favorite salad with fresh lobster meat, or add to your go-to mac and cheese recipe to make the instant classic to the next level. For more recipe inspiration, visit lobsterformaine.com. I'm news assistant Ryan Doyle. And I'm hungry. These <laughs> openings make me like really crave lobster. And they I'm, sound so delicious. I'm thinking lobster mac and cheese might be a go-to yes. this weekend if I'm going out to eat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I'm Ernerberry Seafood Market Reporter Lauren Castiglione. Thanks for joining us. In our top story of the day, the EPA revoked a preemptive veto proposal from 2014 that would have halted the proposed pebble mine in Alaska. Before the revocation, uh, the determination would have blocked the project over concerns about the damage to Bristol Bay's waterways and salmon habitat. Now the EPA will work with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to evaluate a proposal submitted two years ago by Pebble Limited Partnership. That's a lot of peas in that 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 was a tough one. That was good. <laughs> Alaska's congressional delegation, along with Governor Mike Dunleavy, supported the revocation. Dunleavy looked towards President Trump for assistance in rejecting the 2014 EPA veto, citing that it isn't a fair process for the developer proposing to build the mine. With the veto now revoked, the developer of the mine will now receive a fair and evidence-based review, according to the Representative Don Young, and other state congressmen echoed that feeling. However, not everyone supported the EPA's decision. Washington Senator Maria Cantwell called the EPA's decision outrageous and astonishing. Alongside Bristol Bay fishermen, Cantwell cited that Pebble Mine's damage to the Bristol Bay watershed, which supports a 40 to 60 million salmon run annually, would be irreparable if the mine were approved. A three-year EPA study released in 2014 found that the mine, as proposed, would destroy 24 to 94 miles of pristine waterways and salmon habitat and contaminate an additional 48 to 62 miles of streams with toxic mine waste under normal operations with no tailing pond failures. Yeah, that sounds pretty serious. Yeah. Uh, So in other news, NOAA announced on Thursday that this year's Gulf of Mexico dead zone is approximately 6,952 square miles, which not only ranks the dead zone as the eighth largest in the 33-year record, but also exceeds the 5,700 square mile average from the past five years. NOAA released their forecast for this summer's dead zone or hypoxic zone back in June. At the time, the area was expected to reach 7,800 square miles. That prediction was based off of the Mississippi River discharge uh, and nutrient runoff data collected from the U.S. Geological Survey back in May. However, it did not take into account storms which can break up the dead zone. According to NOAA, Hurricane Barry, which formed at the beginning of July, helped mix the water column over the Louisiana Shelf. The storm ended less than a week before the annual survey, led by scientists at Louisiana State University and the Louisiana University's Marine Consortium. The researchers found that the hurricane served as a temporary disruption, reducing the size of the zone. But NOAA reports that when storms reduce the zone, the size usually increases once the water column re-stratifies. Oh, it was like good news, but then not good news. (laughs) Research has shown that dead zones can reduce the reproductive capabilities of some fish species, as well as slow shrimp growth. NOAA uses the data collected from the annual surveys to better understand the scale and effects of the dead zone and to form the best strategies to reduce its size and minimize impacts to our coastal resources and economy. Next up, the plaintiffs who are suing the three major tuna companies over damages from a price-fixing conspiracy won a major court battle this week when Southern California District Judge Janice Martino ruled that they
they did have standing to pursue their claims as a class. These direct purchasers number in the thousands of companies across the U.S. were found to meet the legal standards for a class action, although this determination was opposed vigorously by the three tuna company defendants. There are four groups claiming damages from the price fixing. They include direct action plaintiffs, which are those companies like Walmart and other major retailers who have sought their own individual settlements with the tuna companies. They are not part of any class action. The other three groups include direct purchasers, which are smaller grocery chains, co-ops, distributors, and other wholesale direct purchasers. The second class is indirect wholesale purchasers, which include restaurants who bought from wholesalers and other food service buyers who did not purchase directly from the tuna companies. And the final class is indirect purchasers who are individual customers. The judge certified all of these additional groups as three individual classes that could seek class action damages. Thanks, Ryan. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game has released some additional findings from its long-term study on the impact of straying hatchery fish and any potential interactions between wild and hatchery-raised fish. The results released this week are focused on some small samples of reproductive success based on pink salmon in two streams. The findings confirm the hatchery parentage fish have lower reproductive success than wild parentage fish. So bear with me as I break this down. This was a pretty uh, interesting study. Um, hatchery origin parents produced the lowest reproductive success, and half hatchery, half wildish parentage fish had intermediate success, and wild origin produced the highest reproductive success. So fish that were from parents from both you know both parents from hatcheries the lowest one or the other had intermediate and then wild uh, parentage fish had the highest reproductive success uh, if this sample is a microcosm of the biggest picture it may become necessary to manage on the basis that hatchery fish depress reproduction when they interact with wild fish uh, chris habich one of the adfng scientists working on the project did warn that the sample size is limited and the public should wait before coming to any uh, strict conclusions before the study is completed in 2024. I was going to say because people can run with this yeah. and then making assumptions that, you know, uh, farm fish aren't as healthy as uh, as wild mm -hmm. fish. So we will stay on top yeah, of that Yeah, there's a lot study. of other findings as well, um, you know, differentiated between male and females um, in yeah. that study so far. But again, it's, it's early on. There's still, what, five years left before this is completed. So we'll see if there's any different findings. But we will definitely yeah, it's very interesting, keep though. an eye on this study. Um, this is a big one. All right, so moving forward, NOAA announced that beginning next week, they will be conducting public scoping meetings in anticipation of preparing a draft environmental impact statement for modifications to the Atlantic Large Whale Take Reduction Plan. New recommendations have been made by the Atlantic Large Whale Take Reduction team to improve the plan that was originally developed in 1997. The recommendations include reducing fishing rope and modifying fishing gear. The recommendations raised concerns from members of the lobster industry who fear that these changes will have a serious economic impact on them. Members of the lobster industry can voice their concerns at eight meetings that will take place in August in Maine, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New Hampshire from August 8th to the 21st. And those unable to make one of those eight scheduled meetings can also submit written comments. Uh, you can check back at seafoodnews.com to see how you can submit the comments. Um, I think they can be either written or electronically. Perfect. Make it nice and easy yes. for everybody to uh, participate. So let's shift gears to Alaska. Catches in Alaska now total 97.4 million salmon, still below what was hoped for at this time to achieve Alaska Department of Fish and Game's 2019 forecast of 213.2 million pounds. Um, wow, that's a that's quite a difference. Yeah, the, yeah big drop off. <laughs> um, so pink salmon fishing is ongoing, but hope for large runs is waning in Prince William Sound and Southeast Alaska. 
The numbers now before the coho season is underway or pink salmon seining is completed tell a less than exuberant message. Compared to 137.8 million pink salmon forecast, only 35 million have been landed. That's almost 100 million. Where are they? Difference. Yeah. That is comprised of 12 million from the Prince William Sound, 3.8 million from Southeast Alaska, 8 million from Kodiak, and an astonishing 11 million from the Alaskan Peninsula. And finally, blue crabs are enjoying the warmer waters of the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland. Over the next century, a baby blue crab boom will occur in the bay as the warming waters are going to provide a perfect home for the species, according to a study the University of Maryland Center for Environmental Science. Considered a climate change winner, blue crabs are going to enjoy waters that are similar to those in North Carolina in the present day. Now that the crabs can stick around the Chesapeake Bay during the winter, blue crab survival is set to improve by 20%, which is great news for fishermen and the species as well. With an improved population, the fishing season can last longer and it could still ensure that stocks are in good shape. Uh, unfortunately, there are some concerns about the future of the blue crabs in the Chesapeake Bay. The warming waters will likely bring predators to the north. Plus, underwater grasses and the main food source for blue crabs, the Baltic clams, may not agree with the increase in water temperatures. Studies are set to continue as scientists try to solve the puzzle of climate change and warming waters. And this is something I, I was keeping an eye on this week. I think it's pretty interesting with all these studies regarding the warming waters. What is yeah. going to happen? Because it, on one hand, it looks like it's going to be a good thing, but if those right. predators everything come up, so it could like, change everything. So yeah. studies like this something we've been keeping an eye on, and, and we're going to see what, what that impact is long term. Yeah, everything is, is upside down. It's crazy. Um, so that about does it for us. Once again, this podcast was brought to you by Maine Lobster. For unique Maine Lobster recipes, visit lobsterformaine.com. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.